This on Zoom and those here, um, we had an unexpected pleasure to have uh, Brother Hudson Vanderhoff here. I was just trying to figure out when uh, Sue and I first met the Vanderhoffs. 1995. Yeah, I asked uh, Hudson how old Wesley was. And uh, Wesley is how old? So we've known them for 29 years. So anyway, welcome again, Hudson. Everybody knows who Hudson is. Been here before. So welcome. Good morning. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Romans, chapter 8. The book of Romans, chapter 8. And, and not that titles are terribly important, uh, but if I was to title this message, it would be Waiting with Expectancy. And... Uh, I have been preaching in our Indian fellowship back in northwest Arkansas, and I'm one of, uh, very similar to here, where we, we uh, the men take turns, and so I, I get maybe two Sundays every two and a half months. And so it's a very slow journey through the book of Romans. Um, and the interesting thing about the book of Romans, and, and people think, primarily of the book of Romans as a great theological treatise, which it is. But you realize that the book of Romans is the first recorded missionary support letter. Because Paul is writing to the church at Rome with the hope and expectation that they would give to him so that he could take the gospel into Europe. And that's what his goal was. And you read into chapter 15, you know, I'm coming and I hope that you help me on my way. So, in reality, this is a missionary support left. But rather than focusing on projects and, and methods, Paul focuses on the greatness of the message that he is bringing when he travels with the gospel. And of course, we, we begin that the book of Romans starts out with the need for the gospel, the need for grace that comes because we're sinners. And, you know, we kind of all know the Romans road, you know, for there is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then Paul transfers over to the fact that God has provided grace in Jesus Christ. And then, kind of where this fits in, in uh, my outline on the book of Romans, is, it's on my next page, so let me flip ahead. Uh, the confidence of future glory that we have as a result of the grace of God. Now, I always... Start, and, and what I have been doing as we go through this is, I always start is, if, if, if this is his 
missionary epistle and his missionary journeys were focused on taking the gospel, we always should start with what is the gospel? And uh, kind of have had fun going through the various books that Paul and others in the New Testament have written with a summary of the gospel. Because not one book captures it completely. Uh, we, we, we get a short, understandable summary in every book, but the gospel is so incredibly glorious that if we could sit here and we could talk about it for the next year, for the next ten years, for the next hundred years, and we would just be beginning to appreciate the glories of the gospel. And so, one such summary is in Colossians 1. I know I have to turn to Romans 8, and we'll get there. But Colossians 1, 19 to 23, Paul says, For in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, us, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed... You continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's uh, begin our time here in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have entrusted us with your word. And in your word we find the glorious revelation of your Son, Jesus Christ, and his mission to redeem mankind and to praise your glory. So, Father, we pray that your Spirit would guide our time together, that we might be challenged, encouraged, edified, And, Lord, have our eyes lifted to see you, the glorious one, for whom all creation exists. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in Romans 8, starting at verse 18 to 26, we're in a passage that is focused on future glory. Um, and if you started at verse 18 and we were doing a message on verse 18, the message would be waiting with patience. And then we get to verse 19, which will be sort of our focus here this morning. We talk about waiting with expectancy. But let's read this paragraph here so that we have a uh, good uh, understanding of where we are. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing 
with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. For the believer, verse 18 tells us that suffering is a mark of our future hope. Now the problem is, is if you go to many, many churches throughout our country and throughout the world, they sell a brand of consumeristic Christianity, where God exists to help you. God exists to take care of you. And, and when you pray, you're at the vending machine praying, God, I want this. God, I want that. God, I want this. God, I want that. And, and you know, if you're a good God, you'll give me everything that I want. Just like your kids, if you're a good dad, you'll do what I want, want you to do. We treat God the same exact way, where we seek this relationship with God, where God exists for us. Forgetting the very fact that we were saved to serve and glorify God. And so people are surprised when bad things happen, when hard things happen, when suffering comes into our life, because God, you saved us from sin so that we could not have to have any bad thing happen to us. But Paul says that is not the expectation. And many of these people who have that, it's like, have, have you read the Bible? Have you read what the expectation is? He says, any suffering we go through, verse 18, is not even worthy to be mentioned because of the glory that we will see in eternity that we will see in Jesus Christ. Because we will experience that, it's not even worth comparing that glory. Suffering is normal. And uh, Jesus said that himself in uh, Matthew 10, uh, verse 26. Uh, one of those passages that people forget about when they talk about having the perfect Christian life. Jesus said, so have no, to his disciples, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body, 
but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, you may sacrifice your life for me, but don't worry about that, because your physical life is a short little thing. And when it's over, you are in glory forever. <clears throat> but as we, we, think in, we think about this fact of uh, waiting with expectancy, we come to the fact that Paul says here in verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Have you considered that, brothers? Have you considered that, sisters? The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And as we consider this in this passage, the main idea here is that the Christian should be living every day with the expectancy, with the hope. And, and when I use the word hope, I don't use the English word, I hope so, but the biblical concept of hope, which is a certainty of the expectation of a restored creation filled with perfected people in a perfect world, which most importantly exists in the presence of our perfect God. It's what we live for. It's what our hope is. I, I, I do like, uh, I primarily use the history, but I really like the NAS translation of this verse, which is for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. There is this eagerness, almost, you know, we just got through the Christmas holiday, you know, like kids anticipating Christmas. There is this just eagerness, excitedness about what is going to take place in eternity. Now, I have to admit, when I was a kid, and I would think about eternity in heaven, I would get scared. Because I was scared that I was going to be bored forever. There may be some of you younger people, you, you, you anticipate that. Is heaven going to be just like a really long church service? The thing is, heaven is so much beyond what we can even anticipate. But I, I, I really enjoy... Um, from the, the Chronicle of Narnia series in, in the book, The, the Last Battle, C.S. Uh, Lewis says, uh, Aslan is talking to Lucy where she's worried about, okay, are you going to send us back again? You know, this is so wonderful. Are you going to send us back? And, and he says, the term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. I can't tell you what heaven will be like exactly, except that we will be in the presence of God, that we will enjoy His glory, and not one minute of it will be boring. 
and we will be able to enjoy it perfectly. Um, and that's one of the things that we look forward to. But, but this whole thought that it, it's not just us who are waiting for that glory, but if you look out the window, the trees, the sky, the clouds, the ground, the rivers, the oceans, the animals, they are all waiting for what glory will come when the sons of God are revealed. Which means there is a sense why we may know that we are being revealed, that what we are to be has not yet been revealed in its fullness. Because one day, when we see Him, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. You know, this, this thought of eager expectation reminded me of uh, Paul in Philippians 1.20 says, It is my eager expectation and my hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And, and right after that comes the verse we all like to pull out of context and use, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, and and I, I, I was talking to Brother Tim this morning. I, I probably, I, I read out of the ESV, but when I quote, I'm probably quoting King James. It's just, you know, what, what I learned when I was young in my mind could memorize things. Uh, have not been real good at memorizing again in the ESV, so I always revert back. But there's this anticipation. And, and I think one of the things we lack as God's children, one of the things that the church in, as a whole has lost is our anticipation of what it's going to be like with Christ. What it's going to be like when we are with Christ. You know, one of the things I, I, you know, also remember being a young person, well, God, you know, it's great that I'm a Christian, it's great that you're going to come again, but can you wait till I've done some things? And, you know, you know, I want to get married, I want to have kids, I, you know, I want to work. You know, it's like, you know, now I look, it's like, you know, Lord, you could have come back then, it would have been fine. <laughs> you know, we, we have this expectation, but nothing that we are anticipating here on earth should be, will be better than what we will experience in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not a, you know, we are not looking forward to a time of utter boredom and, uh, you know, you know, I, I, I have it on good authority that we will not have anybody in heaven that goes, can you do that again, but faster? Um, you know, we, whatever, the, the hymns will be sung at the perfect tempo, and, and we will all be able to enjoy it perfectly, and, and because we are being changed to be like Christ. We have an expectation. You know, and, and we have to be careful that we don't sell ourselves short that we don't sell God short by focusing so much on what's going on here that we forget 
that we weren't made or saved just for here, but we were saved for an eternal purpose. And when we get to heaven, our purpose has not been completed, because we will for eternity magnify and exalt the name of Jesus Christ, who is worthy of millennia upon millennia upon millennia of praise and worship. Colossians 3.4 tells us that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, there's a sense, we go through trials, we go through tribulation, we go through hardship, but life really begins when we are in the physical presence of Jesus Christ. It will be like this was a dream, and that is the morning. We have woken up to experience life. Paul, again in uh, Titus 2.13, says that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are waiting for that. He is our hope. He, his appearing is the fullness of our, the full experience of our salvation. We are saved now, and we are sanctified now. Positionally sanctified in the presence of God. But one day we will actually be sanctified, free from the effect of sin. Now we struggle with sin. We fight to put off sin. Because sin has power, has pull to us. But when we are in the presence of God, sin? What sin? What, what power of sin? We will know full freedom of sin. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 tells us, And just as it has been appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. There is an expectation that those of us who are the Lord's have an eager expectation of an eternity with Him. We are waiting for His coming. We are anticipating His arrival. We are living with the values that honor Him because we know we are going to be with Him. You know, I, I shared with our Indian brothers who, where education can be a bit of a high place. Um, you know, you can't be involved with too much because you have to have the kids in sports programs, you have to have them in community programs, because you need everything so that you can get into the right college, so that you can get the right career. But if we have the heart of what God is saying here, we understand the most important thing for our children is not what their career path is, but what their spiritual trajectory, what their spiritual reality is. 
Better that your child work on work on work as a trash collector who loves Jesus Christ than a CEO of the world's largest companies and has no idea and no time for God. And if that's not where your heart is, examine where your heart is because Christ, being one of Christ, is more important than any acclaim this world could have to offer. The Apostle John says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And, and we sit here and, and, you know, we're at the beginning of the year. And, you know, it's the time when uh, people make resolutions and their New Year goals. I would just encourage you, I don't have any New Year's goals for you or New Year's resolutions. If you should have been doing it, get to it. If you haven't been doing it, start doing it. Uh, You don't need a new goal or resolution. But pray, Lord, help me to be looking for your appearing with as much eagerness as your word expects. And help me have the vision to live the way a person who anticipates your arrival would be living. That's that's the way we should be praying from the day we get saved. Lord, you're coming. One day soon you will come, and I want to be ready. I want to be expecting. I want to be living in a way that pleases you. Um, Tim Keller said it, Uh, In one of his books, spiritual resurrection means that we are, in a sense, living in heaven while still on earth. Living in the future while still being in the present. We are living in light of eternity. And we are living with the power of God given to us to live in a way that honors and glorifies Him today. Our hope of glory creates in us a desire to be clothed in the glory of our Savior and for our Savior. You know, one of the things that Can, uh, can create a fight in a, in a moment, in a heartbeat, is, is the matter of works. And we know very clearly that we are not saved by our works. That is a damnable heresy. That I have any ability to do anything that would indebt God to then do something for me. But understand that while I am not saved by works, if I am saved, I will be doing good works. Because Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For we are saved by grace, that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should, should boast. It's not of works. But verse 10, which made people leave off the plaques, 
is for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that he before ordained that we should walk in them. And, and the difference is, is one says, I am doing works because I'm afraid of God and I, 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 and, and I have to do something to curry in its favor. And that's wrong. But having received his grace, I am encouraged. I, I am, I want to do things because of gratitude. Because of the gratefulness I have for what he has done for me, I am challenged to do good works. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unfailed face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this from this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And that is, you know, we have that glory, we are being transformed, and Christ is changing us, the Holy Spirit is changing us, so that our lives glorify Him. And He does that by what we treasure. In the book, uh, short book, Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent, he says, Consequently, as I habitually gaze upon the glory of the Lord revealed in the Gospel, I can know that actual deposits of God's very glory are attaching themselves to my person and transforming me from one level of glory to another. This transformation is deep and abiding and unfailingly displays the glory of God to others. As we are being transformed, Jesus is being lifted up because he is transforming that which we could not do for ourselves. He takes those of us who were selfish, you know, self-centered, you know, who couldn't think about another person and help us to minister, to see the needs of other persons, to sacrifice for other people. He transforms us by the power of His Spirit. And we see that in the Gospel. We are being transformed. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. A little bit longer selection from uh, the Gospel Primer says this, The more I experience the riches of Christ in the Gospel, the more there develops within me a yearning to be with Christ in heaven, where I will experience His grace in unhindered fullness. The reason for this yearning is simple. However great may be the present blessings of salvation, they are but the first fruits of the Spirit. The first installments of an unimaginably great harvest of glory, which I will reap forever in heaven. The Apostle Paul could not rehearse gospel blessing in Romans 5-8 through without being reminded of his anxious longing for the future glories awaiting believers in heaven. Likewise, the Apostle John could not speak of his and his reader's status 
of children of God without relishing the beautification that they will experience at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Neither will I be able to think long upon gospel blessings without thinking also of the infinite glories which will be mine to enjoy in heaven. Such a gospel-generated heavenward focus yields enormous benefit to me while on earth. The mere hope of seeing Christ in glory releases the purifying influence of heaven upon my life from day to day. Also, knowing the future love which God will show me in glory enables me to love my fellow saints with a heaven-inspired love even now. I love others out of the fullness already given to me in Christ and also out of the greater fullness that will be given to me in glory. Hope of eternity with Christ in heaven also enables my heart to thrive during the most difficult and lengthy of trials here on earth. While looking at the sheer weight of unseen glories to come, my troubles seem light by comparison. And when looking at the staggering length of eternity, my troubles seem fleeting by comparison. It is only against the backdrop of a glorious eternity that my circumstance can be seen in such a manner. And the promise of this glorious eternity is part and parcel of the gospel itself. Preaching the gospel to myself every day is a great way to keep myself established in the hope of the gospel, so that I might experience the practical benefits that such hope is intended to bring me here on earth. And I would... uh, of course, there is no greater book than the Bible, but I, I, I would commend to you this, this maybe 40, 50 pages called The Gospel Primer uh, by Milton Vincent. It has a series of meditations on the glories of the gospel and uh, just to lift Christ up in what he has done for us. I want to close thinking very briefly about uh, and turning over to Galatians 4. In, in this passage, Paul communicates to us uh, in verses 1 through 7 that we have gone from the status of slaves to the status of heirs. We have an inheritance. And he says, I mean that the heir, starting at verse 1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. 
If I told you that you were heir to this person who was going to leave you a trillion dollars when they died, you would look with the anticipation to the receipt of that inheritance. Now, the good news is, is the person we are inheriting for has already died, and he lives forever, but he doesn't have to die again, and he's not going to die again. But when we are with him, we will receive the full inheritance of sons. And let me say two things to that very quickly. To the ladies in the room, let me say Paul is not being sexist here. Uh, under Roman law, when, when men were adopted into the family, they received the rights of inheritance. They, re- they became full legal members of the family. And so they would receive the inheritance when the father died. Women were not quite so fortunate back in Paul's time. The women could be adopted into a family, but they received no rights of inheritance. There was no legal right in the Roman system for women to inherit. So even though you were adopted in the family, uh, you, you were kind of left out of that. And what Paul is saying for both the brothers and the sisters, we're adopted as sons in that we are adopted into God's family, men and women, with full legal rights of inheritance. So that we will partake of the inheritance given to us by God, whether we are men or women. So don't worry that Paul is being sexist here. He's not. So Paul also warns us that it's really easy to become Israelites at this point. Who, when they were set free, when they were traveling to the promised land, got part of the way there and said, you know, this is a little bit more difficult than we envisioned. We want to go back. And in Galatians 5.1, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand they firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't trade your heirship, don't trade your sonship to become a slave again. And when we get entangled with the affairs of this world, when we get entangled with the desires of the world, you know, we want success, we want position, we want influence, We want money. We we enslave ourselves again instead of being free of the very influences that Christ wants to free us from. Remember, we have an inheritance in eternity that is far greater than anything this world could give us. And no matter what our success here. We can be the world's most successful person and fail at being what God wants us to be. But the converse is true, that we can fail at everything the world considers important and be exactly what Christ wants us to be. Remember that Christ, who was the Son, became a slave, became as a servant, so that we who are slaves to sin 
might become the sons of God. And one day, and hopefully not too far in the future, and, and I find as the older I get, the more I anticipate that day, we will receive the full inheritance that God has for us. But we need to be learning to love Him and praise Him and live for Him now. If we appreciate what He has done for us. We should be living every day with the hope, with the expectation, with the certainty that we have a future eternity with Christ where everything will be perfect. And that hope, that expectation, that eager waiting of all creation, we should join in and wait for the glory of God to be revealed in the sons of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have not left us as orphans, but you have given us your spirit, you have given us your word, and you have given us the certainty that we will be with you forever, because you have paid the penalty for our sins. Lord, help us to live our life with the expectation that you our God, and we will be yours forever. Help us to prioritize the things that are important to you, and help us to set aside the things that need to be set aside because they are worldly and earthy, and they draw our attention away from you. Help us, Lord, to love you more, and to anticipate your return more every day. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.